Well, good morning. My name is Nick Allen, and I'm the family and children's pastor here at Rolling Hills. And a lot of times when I find myself in this spot, I'll begin a teaching time um, by saying that I'm thankful to be here, or or that I'm really grateful for the opportunity to to be in a spot where I get to teach the multi-generational body of Christ. I spend the majority of my time um, with kids' ministry and the world's most fantastic volunteers um, teaching your children. And so it it really is a a privilege, And, and I don't ever want it to be so overdone that it becomes cliche that, oh yeah, this guy's grateful to be here, because I am very thankful for a pastor who shares well and has provided in the last years countless opportunities for me to step into and hone giftings and be a part of this role. Um, I've been given the gift of teaching. And that's the most awkward sentence I've ever said in my life. Because I would never say it in a one-on-one conversation, much less in front of an audience, were it not for the passage of scripture that we're going to dive into together today. I know that that is part of God's specific call in my life. I know that it pops up in spiritual gift inventories where we take tests and answer questions about ourselves. And all of a sudden, uh, the outsource of that is is the, the list of gifts that we have and the things that we're supposed to leverage and exercise for the growth of God's kingdom. And so it's affirmed in my life by people that I, that I trust and that I listen to and that I'm mentored by. I know a ton of guys who I am just envious of their gifts and ability to teach. Um, And I want to find myself learning from them. I find myself sinfully jealous of them. And they don't serve at a church with a pastor who shares. And so in spite of their giftings, they don't have the kind of opportunities that I've been afforded. And so I do stand here every time I'm here as a person who is grateful. Um, I want that to be conveyed. I'm also grateful today that in this particular context, I get to almost dedicate, and maybe dedicate is too strong of a word, but I'll use it anyway and get you guys to forgive me later, Um, dedicate um, the context of today's message to a very special person, um, Sarah Izell, who is someone who leveraged her gifts. She's someone who I think that the timing of this particular scripture passage and her graduation to heaven intersect one another in a way that is evidence of God's ability to multitask in our lives and to teach us a lot of different things from both his word and also circumstance, especially when those circumstances are painful and cause grief. At age 35... He was the youngest man to ever receive the Nobel Peace Prize. His nonviolent approach to peaceful disposition while waging a war on inequality has won him a place in history. He's the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I went to his church on a school field trip as a child. I listened to a cassette tape of his famous Capitol Hill dream speech in college while studying speech writing. I marvel at the time and moment in history when his life intersected what was going on with the world. He's a hero. In 1964, after a career of seeking equality in South Africa, Nelson Mandela was sentenced to life in prison. After 27 years, he was released and became the first president of a post-apartheid South Africa, what he had worked his entire life for, continuing to lead people to reconciliation by introducing housing, education, and economic reforms to improve the standard of living of black South Africans. 
He died at age 95, having gone as far down the road of responsibility as he could, citing even them then that freedom comes with responsibility. He's a hero. She founded an organization known as Missionaries of Charity, a Roman Catholic congregation dedicated to offering free services to the world's poorest people. As of 2012, more than a decade after her death, the agency boasted over 4,500 sisters active in 133 different countries, serving in hospices and in homes for people with HIV, AIDS, leprosy, tuberculosis. They run soup kitchens, dispensaries, and mobile hospitals, counseling programs, orphanages, and schools. Her name is Mother Teresa, and she died in September of 1997, just six days after Princess Diana. And I remember being in college thinking to myself that that was God's gift to her. The timing of her death being so overshadowed by someone more famous was just a reflection of the way that she ultimately lived her life of service. She's a hero. This week, the world lost another hero. Sarah went home to be with Jesus late Wednesday evening. And yesterday, we gathered here to sing and cry and laugh and celebrate her life. She served Rolling Hills Preschool Ministry for a decade. Her disability was powerfully overshadowed by a long list of abilities, too numerous to count. Even stacked up against names like Martin, Nelson, and Teresa, she's a hero. Because you don't need a Wikipedia page about you to be called a hero. The world may never know the way that you leverage and the way that you exercise the unique gifts and abilities that God has given specifically to you and only you. But one life can make a a big difference. It's a call within a call. You see, generally as believers in Jesus, we are called to love and serve and follow God. But specifically, we are all set apart with a unique wiring, an individual gifting that God specifically chose for you and has called you to exercise for his glory this side of eternity. Our life is short. It's a dash between two dates. And it doesn't matter if we get 45 years or 75 years or 95 years. It's what we do with the years that we're given that counts. Father, we pray today that your word would be truth to us. That we would crave it like a really good meal. That God, we would just devour it and want more of it. That we would be changed and inspired by it. And that God, you would get glory from the telling of your truth and the teaching of your people. Thank you, Jesus calling us to this place to be a part of this church and to hear words from you today. Amen. We continue our study in 1 Corinthians called The Road Less Traveled. And the identifying mark for all of us in studying something called The Road Less Traveled is that 
all of us are supposed to travel this road, which in the world of Rolling Hills would mean that it would be the road most traveled. And that really is the goal. So we invite you through this series to be a part of a journey where we all want to get on board with what God's teaching is. Um, Paul is directly addressing a church in Corinth that has tons of problems. And if you're new to Rolling Hills and I get to have a conversation with you and you ask me about church, or I'm talking to one of my buddies across the country who lives in another state and lives in another city and serves in another church, a lot of times I can't or I don't feel super compelled to tell them a lot about my life here at Rolling Hills because then I would feel bad because they're struggling. Because there are environments out there that have stage four cancer and Rolling Hills sometimes has bad allergies. And there's a difference. And overall, this is just an incredibly healthy place to be and an unbelievably healthy place to serve. And Paul is writing to a church um, not like Rolling Hills for that reason. There, there's disease going on in Corinth and there are struggles that the people are facing. It's a disease of disunity. It's a disease of um, idolatry. It's a disease of sexual immorality. And it's a struggle. And so Paul writes to them a, a, a lot about each one of those things and finally gets to a section on the diversity of our gifts and how we use them. This is the part where he replaces all the problems that they're having with the, the manners in which they're supposed to be living. And so today we dive into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to be there with me. If you don't, words will magically pop up on a screen um, because people make that happen and it's incredible. You can also turn into Version or whatever mobile device you have. And we're just going to read lots of parts of 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 together, starting with chapter 12, verse 4. It says, now there are different gifts, but the same spirit. There are different ministries, but the same Lord. And there are different activities, but the same God is active in everyone and everything. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person to produce what is beneficial. And so we're given gifts. And if you read that passage of scripture and you think that Paul is just saying gifts, ministries, and activities are all... Um, Synonyms, that may not be the right English word, but things that are the same, they're not. Because each one of these references something very different in the life of the church. You see, the word gifts is the word charisma. Oh, we know that word. It's where we get the word charisma. And it means compelling attractiveness or charm or a divinely conferred power or talent. And it's when we exercise our divinely conferred power or talent that we are the most charming and are the most attractive as believers and are the most attractive to God. And we want to be a blessing to him. And so we know that this word gifts is the word charisma. And that, that's great. Well, the next one, ministries, what it really means is service. And it's the Greek word diakonia. It's where we get the word that we use in church, deacon. It's one who serves. So the things about me that make me unique and different are to make me attractive to the world and a blessing to God. They're also to make me a servant to the body. And finally, the word activities in this translation of scripture might be better written as the word workings, working. It's the Greek word energema, energy. It's how we affect change. It means working. It means effect. It sounds like energy. And all of those things, the things that we do that are our giftings and the things that we do that are acts of service and the things that we do that are our work, they are to accomplish one thing and it's found in verse 7, what is beneficial? And so then we have to ask ourselves, what in the world is beneficial? Well, what's beneficial to the world is the growth and the expansion of God's church. This is his hands and feet. This is his opportunity. The hope of the world is indeed the local church. And you and I are a part of that. And so what's beneficial for us to thrive? So we say that what's beneficial, Paul wrote about it in Ephesians chapter 4 as well. In 11 through 13, he says... 
God. He personally gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints and the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith. Unity was a big struggle in Corinth. Unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's son growing into a mature man with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Everything that we're given in terms of an opportunity to exercise our gifts and serve the local church and work for God's glory is beneficial for the growth and the expansion of his church. Paul follows this up in Corinth with verses 8 through 10, which give us this litany of gifts. And there's a lot of controversy in here. There's a lot of controversy about the type of the gifts. Each of the gifts in question provides some level of divine revelation, the message of God. And the big question for us today is whether or not God is still in the business of giving us divine revelation. Because there's a couple different schools of thought as to whether or not he does. Some people say, no, scripture is it. That's all we've got. Every bit of the divine revelation of God comes through his word and there's nothing else. So how we interpret this word is what makes sense. Well, I would land that how we interpret this word is what makes sense, and that's a good thing. But what we have to understand is that the Holy Spirit is alive in the hearts of God's people, and that he is directing us towards the specific will of God in our day and age and in our context. And so we know that God is still in the business of speaking to people. You could study for whole semesters in a seminary course, and you could make a lot of different cases for a lot of different arguments concerning the revelation of God in our world today, and they would all be plausible and believable. But at the end of it all, what we do know is that God speaks to his people, whether that's through his word, whether that's through teaching, whether that's through the prompting of the Holy Spirit in our lives and the circumstances that we embark on. And as long as the special revelation prompting of the Holy Spirit is in keeping with what we see in scripture, then we know we're on the right track. But I don't think the types of gifts offered here are maybe the most important thing for us to glean. It's something different. Listen to what he says, that it's through the Spirit that we receive whatever gift. It's by the Spirit that we receive this gift. It's by the same Spirit. It's by the one Spirit, but one and the same Spirit. Every single one of the gifts outlined is given by and for the Spirit. You see, there's one giver and many gifts. They're different gifts, but the same spirit that gives them to all. Who gave you your gift? And who do you use it to bring honor to? Is it your own ends? Is it your own glory? Is it your own reputation? Is it your own paycheck? Or is it for the betterment of the world around you through the building up of Christ and his church? These gifts were given by the spirit, for the spirit, for the communication of God's message in the context of his local church. More about the church. It's called a body. You know, we call ourselves the body of Christ. And this is the passage of scripture that we, that we link up and that we say we are the body of Christ. It's an organism, not an organization. It's a body, not a building. I love that we call this place the warehouse. It makes it really easy to teach kids that the church is not a building. That the church is not some place I go that the church is something I am. And it's great that we can tell them that churches aren't bricks and mortar with steeples on top, but churches are people with skin and bones and gifts to share. In our church, we call members partners. You see, members in our community, in our context, implies um, something that you belong to. 
um, and something that you get a benefit from. You're the member of the Sam's Club, and you get savings. You're the member of a fitness club, and you get fit. I don't know why you laughed. I'm offended. But I forgive you because Colossians 3.13 says I should. Okay, yeah. Um, Partnership is a different word. Um, Because membership comes with perks. But partnership comes with responsibility. Being a partner makes you a shareholder. It makes you a team member. It makes you part of what makes something work. But just because we belong to the same church doesn't mean that we all act and feel and think the same way. Verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. So there's one giver but many gifts, but there's one body with many parts. Remember one of the key struggles facing the church at Corinth was disunity. And Paul reminds them that regardless of their ethnic heritage or their economic status, that they were one body in Christ. And then he goes on to offer a couple different scenarios to help them understand those gifts better. And in verse 15, he says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If I were a foot, I imagine that I would be jealous of a hand too, because feet are grosser than hands. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body. In spite of this, it still belongs to the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were an ear, where would the sense of smell? But now God has placed the parts, each one of them in the body, just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? Now there are many parts, yet one body. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Nor again, the head to the feet. I don't need you. He gives us this for a couple different reasons. One, so that we don't underestimate the power of our gifts. So that we don't say, yeah, my gift's not that great. We don't want to think too lowly of ourselves. But it's also so that we don't overestimate the power of our gifts by thinking that we're better than someone else who doesn't have the same gifting. Ultimately, we all need each other. Just like the parts of my body were designed to work in harmony with one another, not every single part having the same function, but we need them all working together to be what you see before you. The same is true of the body of Christ. Just because we don't play the guitar or sing like these guys doesn't mean we don't belong. And I was thinking this week that just because I don't love kids in the same manner that Sarah Ezell does, I don't think many people love kids in the same manner as Sarah Ezell did doesn't mean that we're not part of this body and that we don't belong and have a powerful responsibility to partner in it. You know who I'm grateful for at Rolling Hills? Our finance team. Because they do what they do so that I don't have to. You wouldn't want me on that team. You know, I'm happy to give advice when it's asked for or even sometimes when it's not, but that's not my gift. Who has two thumbs and is really glad that we're not talking about land anymore like we did the first quarter of the year? This guy. Not because it's not important, but because I don't get it. It's not part of my gifting. And I'm so thankful that God has blessed Rolling Hills with people who who understand that and can leverage it. And they can use their gifts and their passions and their education to go out and make a difference for this church Ask any of them what a scope and sequence is for children's ministry curriculum and what our learning objectives are for the day, and they would probably look at you funny, and that's okay, because that's what I'm here for. And that's what all those fantastic volunteers are back there doing. We don't all have the same gifts, and that's great, because we don't all need the same gifts. We're 
We're a part of this to work in harmony with one another, and it takes every single one of us. In the life of the church, a person who sits on the sidelines, not using their unique gifting to serve the body of Christ, is in atrophy. It takes its toll on the entire body. Today we skip chapter 13 because chapter 13 is one of the more famous passages of scripture in the Bible. It's all about love. I encourage you to come back next week because chapter 13 gets a Sunday all by itself. And we we dive over to chapter 14. And Paul goes really specific in chapter 14 talking about a couple of the different gifts of the spirit that were being exercised in Corinth. Maybe just a little bit wrong. Um... Paul reminds them about the proper use of the gifts of prophecy and the gift of tongues within the local church. We know that the gift of tongues is the ecstatic speaking in a Holy Spirit language. And to sum it all up, what Paul says is that it has to be interpreted. And the reason why it has to be interpreted is found pretty clearly in verse 19. It says, Yet in the church I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another language. He's talking about intelligible speech and how important it is to make sure that we're communicating effectively in the life of the church. He's talking about having one message from one voice. We need intelligible speech because we need a clear context and we need even clear instruction. If we're to decipher what this word means for us, this word that was written thousands of years ago in the context of a very early church, we need intelligible speech to understand what it means for us today in our context to apply this word to everyday living. You see, there is one message and there is one voice. He goes on in verse 24 to say, but if all are prophesying and some unbelief or uninformed person comes in, he is convicted by all and is judged by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall down on his face and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Paul's like a one-trick pony. Everything that he says in the context of this book and every letter that he wrote is so that people will know God. Every purpose that he has is so that people will come to know God. Every desire that he has is for people that are far from Jesus to come really near to the person of Jesus. So if you go back in context in this passage of scripture, you know that he wants to become all things to all people. Why? So that people will know God. He wants to live a life of total sacrifice. Why? So that people will know God. He's thankful when crummy days happen like prison and beating. Why? So that people will know God. He wants to eat and drink and proclaim the death of Jesus every single day until he comes comes back. Why? So that people will know God. There is one clear message that comes out of this and the exercising of our gifts in acts of service for the ministries of this local church bear but one purpose in mind. It's so that other people will come to know that God is really among us. I want to worship him because he's real and I want to be there because that's where he is. If you go through the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 with a laser-like focus, specifically giving all of your attention to the gifts that Paul was talking about, you would walk away really confused about the gifts of prophecy and the gifts of speaking in tongues. And I do think that there's an appropriate place for us to dive in and have conversations for what those gifts ultimately mean for us today. The idea of a gift of speaking in tongues, it was to prove that there was God in heaven, that he was real. It was a sign 
given to people to know that the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit was real. Prophecy was a gift so that people would know what God's word says. It wasn't telling the future, it was telling the truth. Sometimes prophecy, especially if you go back into the Old Testament, was telling the truth in a really scary, mean way. Sometimes prophecy for us today is speaking the truth in an attitude of love that has an opportunity to communicate to the heart of the unbeliever that God is real. You should worship him. He's among us. So we could go really, really specific and talk about prophecy or tongues, or we could dive up a little bit further and go general and talk about that the point of this is that there would be clarity in the message of God. (coughs) That there would be clarity so that people would know God. Serving in the nursery here at Rolling Kills isn't because you like dirty diapers. That's weird. And we do background checks, so you probably wouldn't pass. <laughs> you do so that moms and dads can come in here sans kids and hear a message from God's word and experience corporate worship that makes them leave refreshed prepared to be better parents on behalf of moms and dads in this room because I'm one. Thank you to the volunteers who make that possible. And not only do they make it possible, they do it really well. They do it with excellence so that it's easy for us to drop off and come in. They do it with consistency so that my kids like it better which means that there's one less hiccup or burden from me being a part of what happens in this place. They make it possible for us to know God. Sarah Zell made it possible for people to know God. I've often thought that we could benefit from a volunteer enlistment campaign with her as our poster child. And on the bottom of it, we would write, what's your excuse? She and I joked about that a lot. It was kind of funny. She was game on, all in, ready to make it happen. As a leader here, I hear, as a leader here, I hear, not play on words, I hear tons of reasons why people can't or aren't in the context of serving. A lot of times it's because of our kids. They make it too hard. Um, They make it too difficult to worship one, serve one. They make it too alarming to try to be in this space. And the big struggle that I have with that is because I don't think that our kids are the reason not to serve. I think that our kids are really more of a reason to serve. Because what they need more than anything is a mom or dad who are committed to Christ. They need to catch you reading your Bible. When you're a parent, forget about a private prayer closet. They need to be able to spy on you intently seeking the God of this universe, and giving him your attention. And sometimes they need to be told to wait and hold on because their needs aren't as important as yours in that moment. They also need a mom and dad who sacrificially serve because our goal as parents is to one day raise kids as adults who are part of a thriving local church and who are completely committed to Christ. That will happen better in the context of parents who demonstrate that on a regular basis. You see, our kids are concrete thinkers. And so we have to give them some concrete illustrations of what it means for us to be dedicated to God. We can't say it if we don't do it. 
And so they need to see a mom reading her Bible. And they need to see a dad waking up early and getting the family all together so that they can be on time and stay real long. Because the body of Christ requires all of the members working hard for the unity and the building up of it so that the message of Jesus Christ being real and so that the message of God's word being true will be communicated. If you call yourself a partner at Rolling Kills, oh, this is the moment where I get fired. (laughs) Or where I make a joke because I'm uncomfortable. If you call yourself a partner at Rolling Kills and you're not serving in some capacity, not even a high capacity, but in any capacity, you are living out of covenant with the piece of paper that you signed and committed yourself to when you, when you joined this local body. That's not being mean. I hope it's just being truthful. And I hope that you understand that it's for our good. You see... We don't invite you to serve on a ministry team because we have holes to fill. Although, FYI, we always have holes to fill. We invite you to serve on a ministry team because it's a key component of your spiritual growth. In fact, there might be better ways to organize the ministries of the church. But yet we rely on people exercising their gifts and their abilities in an act of service and in a context of ministry so that they might grow. If you're not serving somewhere in some capacity, you're not going to maintain consistent spiritual growth in your life. What typically happens then is that people who are not engaged in a place of service will shop churches and cite the fact that they need to go someplace else where they can grow. And while they may be looking for a different style of teaching, they won't find it. Because what God is looking for is a different lifestyle of service. If you're serving here, great. If you don't love it, let us know. We, we want to find some other place for you to f- exercise gifts and serve. We're, we're called to serve in the area of our greatest passion. What moves you? We're also called to serve in the area of our greatest need. What has to be filled? Sometimes the greatest need is not awesome, like working on the park it, parking team in January or July. Oh, like right now. Or on any rainy Sunday where you've got to take an umbrella to somebody's car to help them get in the building. But boy, it's necessary. 1 Corinthians 14.25, everything that we do, greeters, ushers, parking people, tech team, worship team, kids team, we all come together to form an environment saying to people who engage us that God is real and he's here and he needs to be worshipped. It's one message. It's one voice. Collectively from every avenue of our service, We want people to know that God is real. And we communicate that one truth. That's the clear message. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, there is a specificity. And it's about prophecy. And it's about tongues. But in general, it's about clarity. It goes on towards the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 34, to talk about ladies. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should be silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be submissive as the law also says. I'm not going to touch that with a 10-foot pole. You want to know what was going on in Corinth? There were women that were being really quarrelsome. And there were specific women that were 
not representing their husbands and their households and their family lives well. And they were choosing to bring up arguments at every specific turn. And so specifically to the church in Corinth, Paul says, women, zip it. But in general for the church today, Paul says, quarrelsome people, hush. Specifically, this may have been about women. But generally for all of us today, it's about complainers. You know who complains the most in the life of the church? The people who do the least. Ouch. That's a hard one. From my experience, it's also a true one. And Paul's goal here was to eliminate quarrelsome, complaining behavior. Why? To protect the unity of the church. Why would he want to protect the unity of the church? So that the message would be clear. And so that other people far from God would get to know God. We don't have to give this passage of scripture credit for being as complicated as we want to make it to be. Because the idea about prophecy and the idea about speaking in tongues and the idea about women not talking in church all had one purpose and one purpose only, to protect the unity of the church so that the message would be clear so that people would get to know God. If we told women not to speak in church today, I'd lose 75% of my volunteer force. And we would have been really sad not to have been blessed by the incredible leadership that God has given us And female staff members, female pastors, female teachers. More wisdom comes out of 2034 Silverton Circle from my wife than it ever had time to come through from me. I don't think that God's telling all the women to put a sock in it. I think he's saying, get rid of anything that's quarrelsome and divisive. Because it's not helping you protect the message of unity that's going to call other people to know that God is real. There is one message, and it has to come from one unified voice. And finally, there's one God, three persons, a sure purpose, and it's all his. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we get a really great picture of the Holy Trinity of God. In verse 18, it says, but now God has placed each one of the parts in his body just as he wanted. You know, these gifts and these people, you're here for a purpose. You did not move to this county in Tennessee on accident. And part of that is so that you would be linked up with this specific local church, exercising your gifts for his service, which he designed in advance for you to do. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And God did it. And then it says, now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. That's chapter 12, verse 27. God the Father has orchestrated these gifts and brought them together so that we might be a body of Christ, representing him well to the world. And finally, but one in the same spirit is active in all these, distributing to each person as he wills. That's chapter 12, verse 11. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit living inside the heart of every single believer, identifying for you what your gifts are so that you may serve. Rick Warren said that great opportunities come once in a lifetime. But small opportunities surround us every day. I like that. Great opportunities come once in a lifetime, but small opportunities surround us every single day. You may be remembered for what you do, for some once-in-a-lifetime big, huge opportunity. But you're going to be crowned for what you do with all the itty-bitty ones every day. Every child here at Rolling Hills deserves a Sarah. 
And I say that as a person who hates entitlement and doesn't even like the word deserve. I don't, I don't like it. And my theology is way too mean for me to like think that I deserve anything but death and eternity apart from God. In fact, if I was him, I would have looked at me and washed my hands, but he didn't. He had grace. He gave love. He gave generosity. I don't think that the kids at Rolling Hills deserve anything. Um, maybe a better word is need. Maybe the kids at Rolling Hills need volunteers like Sarah. They need committed teachers and other adults to be raised up in their lives to affirm the things that they're learning at home from parents and sometimes to replace the things that they're not learning at home from parents. Every child needs a Sarah. Every child needs a Molly or a Charlotte or a Paul or a Nate. Nate Cole, he's the guy in Studio 4 over here right now making it possible for us to drop off Simon without tears because um, Simon apparently likes the men volunteers in the preschool studios more than he likes the female volunteers in the studios. No offense. I think he's mad that you're not his mom, but he likes her better than you. He likes her better than me. It's okay. But when he goes to a guy in the room, it's, he goes, ah, which translation is, what up, bro? I'm glad you're here today because he... It's easier on us. And there's a guy over there in Studio 4 with his wife who doesn't even have kids of his own. Playing with the almost two-year-olds in Studio 4, making it possible for moms and dads to be in here. They don't deserve consistent weekly teachers, but by the grace and the goodness of God, we're going to give them consistent weekly teachers. Guests at Rolling Hills don't deserve an umbrella when they pull into the parking lot on a rainy day. But by the goodness and grace of God, we're going to give them an umbrella when they pull into the parking lot at Rolling Kills on a rainy day. None of you came in here this morning deserving really great live music and really pretty pictures on a screen. Or an incredibly young, attractive pastor teaching you God's word. (laughs) But by the goodness and grace of God, that is what you're going to get. Especially next week when I'm not your pastor. (laughs) By God's grace and his unique call, plus the sacrificial gifts of talented people, service heart-oriented people who collectively pursue an attitude of excellence, which is nothing but an illustration of the way that God has given us his very best, That's what we're going to give people. For us to provide that, it takes every single one of us stepping up and serving well using the unique gifts that we've been given. The church is going to fail if somebody else has to step into the spot that you were designed for because they're going to be bad at it. And it won't be their fault. Out of the goodness of their heart, they plugged a hole that needed filling, but it might have needed you to fill it. And our desire is to see everyone grow to maturity in Christ because they exercise their gifts in unity with the body so that the message will be clear and other people will get to know God. If you go back to the very beginning of chapter 12, you get these words. Concerning what comes from the Spirit, brothers, I do not want you to be unaware. You know that when you were pagans, you used to be led off to the idols that could not speak. Therefore, I am informing you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Paul is summing it all up for us and saying, hey, remember that time you didn't know Jesus? You acted like it. And remember that time you did know Jesus? Your life should reflect that too. 
You see, no one filled with God's spirit can curse Christ. And no one filled with God's spirit can live a life apart from reflecting Christ. Mid-Eastern religions of Paul's day were famous for outbursts of ecstatic speech, like speaking in tongues. And so Paul's goal was wanting to make sure that this church looked and acted differently than all of the other Mid-Eastern religions around them. He wanted to make sure that they knew that these dumb idols that people were also sacrificing to, which dumb also means mute in this passage of scripture, reminding them that if it's the Holy Spirit, the person is going to proclaim Christ and live under the lordship of Jesus. The timing of this section is perfect because every single one of those gifts were about the message of Jesus. Jesus Christ and living under the lordship of him, you are most charismatic when you live out your gifting well. And to say Jesus is Lord means I belong to him. And I can't belong to Jesus without the presence of the Spirit. And I can't have the presence of the Spirit without a specialized gifting just for me. And I can't have a specialized gifting just for me without using it to build up the body of Christ called the church. The best way to honor God and to live under the lordship of Jesus is to use those gifts for his glory. I'm thankful to be a part of a church that encourages that, that that designs ministries around that, and that will also hold believers accountable to that. What, What are your gifts? How are you using them Do other people get to know and hear and understand a clear message of God by the way that you represent him? It may not get you a nod on the internet, but it will afford you an opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in the life of his local church, which will prevail. And it will be part of his redeeming glory for the world. And using your gifts means you get to be a part of that. It's your job to discover what they are and to sacrificially use them to serve. You will grow that way. And God will be honored. Father, we are intensely grateful for the sacrifice that you made in Christ and the way that we have been called to be part of that. Father, my prayer today in the name of Jesus is that each part of this body would recognize your gifts and utilize your gifts. That no one here would underestimate the gift that they've been given or overestimate it as the case may be. But that each member would sacrificially and wholeheartedly use it for the teaching and equipping of people to communicate your good message and to faithfully represent Christ to this world. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.